to Who Says, the podcast for mental health professionals who dare to ask, who says it has to be done this way? Join me in conversation with innovative mental health professionals who are thinking outside of the box and challenging the status quo. I'm Kalinta Blanche, your host and mental health OT with over a decade of experience. Through my years working for a clinic and in my own private practice, I've learned that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to mental health. It's time we challenge the norms, break free from the cookie-cutter methods, and embrace new horizons. If you find yourself standing at the crossroads wondering, who says it has to be done this way? Or daring to ask, who says I can't try something new? You've come to the right place. Get ready for eye-opening conversations, inspiring stories and innovative ideas from those who've also dared to ask, who says it has to be done this way? Let's jump right in. Madeline is such a dynamite of a woman. She is one of my first mental health OT mentors and I still look up to her to this day. She's acquired a wealth of expertise in mental health intervention and group therapy. She has a master's in Gestalt psychology and is a trained Enneagram and TRE practitioner, as well as completed her yoga teacher's training in India in 2018. Malin is just a passionate and expiring person. She offers intuitive insights and she's compassionate as well as honest. She's currently working in one of the country's top eating disorder facilities. And Marlene speaks to us about Healing Spaces, an outpatient wellness initiative that I was part of for a little bit, but so much more than that. She inspires everyone to take the leap, go the extra mile, and really think about, are we doing the best we can for our patients and for ourselves? This is an interview not to be missed. Welcome to today's episode of Who Says? And I have a guest, a very, very special guest here with me today. She is a colleague, a friend, a mentor. And Madeleine was actually when I started one of my first, what felt like an adult job in an acute psychiatric clinic. She was there and she was such an inspiration and just swept me up into her world. Um, so thank you for being here, Madeleine. Uh, warm welcome. Oh, thanks. It's lovely to be be here with you. We actually go way back further than that because we were first neighbors and then we became colleagues. So, um, yeah. Well, actually, actually, when I, I always try and think of how I know the people who are guests on the podcast and you and I actually studied, well, we were at the same university and I think we overlapped for a little bit, but we didn't know each other. And then you and your husband stayed below me when I stayed with a friend and then I worked with you. So yes, we have, we've come a long way. How serendipitous that our paths cross. It's, it's really yeah. lovely. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad to be here with you on this podcast and in your journey as an OT. Awesome. Thanks, Madeline. So today we are here specifically to talk about Healing Spaces. And Healing Spaces is an outpatient program that you and I started together. But since then, it's taken kind of many adaptations, <laughs> pivots, changes. And I was wondering if you just want to tell the audience a little bit about Healing Spaces and how it kind of links to this theme of who says. Mm. 
Yeah, you know, because I think the whole theme of healing spaces is who says. Um, it's exactly what you what you said. Um, so let me first say what healing spaces is. So healing spaces is an online and in person ongoing mental health community. So this is a platform or a space for clients that have chronic or acute mental illnesses that need a space to be. I'm really in the name a healing space, a space where. We can explore deep concepts together, but also a space where we can socialize together, a space where if you are not motivated to get up in the morning, you can actually message someone and say, hey, I'm struggling. So almost a space for mental mental health and mental wellness in action. Um, but it, it really links to who says, because it has taken so many forms and has shape-shifted so many times. Um, and like, I almost want to say like, who's, who says that things have to be perfect? And who says that things have to be a certain way? So when me and you started it years ago in in the clinic that we worked in, it was actually just an outpatient support group. It was simply a space for the clients of that clinic to come every Thursday night um, and do their thing. But I think even then, there were a lot of, ideas and expectations of what an outpatient support group w had to be like um, and I like if you can remember this that it actually became too much for us as therapists to carry that on top of a full load so we then we said can't it be like every second week or can't it have a different format um, I think it also started to really change when we said why does it just have to be support groups because I think at that stage our our personal love and interest was like workshops and yoga stuff and retreats and so who says that um aftercare should just be support groups um who says that you should sit in a circle to do them who says that you can't go to a park and do yoga or go for a walk so healing spaces was really born out of this idea of you're in clinic um and you need support after, or you are not really ready for clinic. Like really in physical health, we've got this idea of step down, step up facilities or step up, down, step up programs. And healing spaces is exactly that. Um, you're either, either coming from an inpatient space and you need support after, you are a chronic mental health user and you need a home essentially, or you want to explore mental health a little bit and you want to look after yourself, but you're a little bit too scared to, to actually go into a clinic and and that's really where healing spaces started and what healing spaces is right now and i'm so happy um that you're kind of touching on that theme of what worked for us and what was too much for us and then for our community and having to change and adapt to meet the needs of the community because mm -hmm. i think also often as a I don't know if this is from studies or where we we come with this assumption, but often as a new therapist, you sit with this thing of, I have to have planned it out perfectly. I have to have the recipe, the protocol, the goals, the perfect activities, and that's how my session or my program, whatever's going to look. And we just, I mean, I think we started healing spaces with a kind of plan and then just rolled with it in so many ways. Yeah, and I and I think so. If I, if I give a little bit of history for Healing Spices specifically, so it was this group that we started with quite a core community. And then we stopped for a few years because mm. 
the interest wasn't there. The group became quite stale. Um, for for therapists that work in outpatient communities, you would know that there's a lot of personality disorder clients that come into that space and then at a point just implode the group. You know, like the group just doesn't exist anymore because it's just a certain type of diagnosis. And then weirdly, um, we picked it up again and started a community again, which was run in, in person. But then COVID happened and so everything had to go online, which was a weird blessing for healing spaces because the COVID years we were busier and fuller than ever. And then after COVID, you had to adapt because now some clients were online. By that stage, we had international clients joining, but still clients had this need for in-person. So if 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 we started off healing spaces, for example, with an idea of this is how it's going to be, I, I don't think it would have survived the 10, 11, 12 years that it has survived. Because I, I don't want to say that we have to pivot year on year. I almost want to say to you that we have to change and adjust session by session. Um, mm, yes. I give feedback to my colleague and then um, Kath, which a lot of you have maybe heard of. And I would say to her, okay, so this happened in this session. And then we go, right, let's, let's change it for the next session. And, and let's change it for the next session. And I think what you're saying is so so true is that this idea that we as the therapist have the plan and, and we definitely do have the plan, but in the end, a group is kind of created or a platform or a community is created by the clients that attended. Sometimes to our very, you know, like, oh, disgust, we have to run a ABC of stress management, which we hate, um, but that's what the clients need. And sometimes we can write this very weird, projective, airy fairy retreat because that's what they need. But it is to be able to change and adjust. And I think that's the thing, um, especially if we look at younger therapists or therapists that has this idea of it has to go a certain way. That's really the who says about this because um, even for experienced clinicians, it never actually works out how you planned it. Mm. Yeah, there's something in this job that's kind of with experience, you realize the more you learn, the more you know, the more you actually don't know. And that thing of being client-led, and as you say, with the best of plans, the clients may need something different. And that's what I love about Healing Spaces, how you guys are so adapted to the community's needs. And I just here actually want to say that, so you and I started Healing Spaces, but I was part of the initial re reiterations of it. And now it's Marlene and Catherine. Um, yeah, and that... I know you guys have also done retreats for therapists and I was on one of those retreats, I think in the yes. COVID years. Yes. Yeah. So maybe you can talk us through the different kind of iterations and different kind of services that Healing Spaces has offered. I think it also, it, it goes back to this whole idea of having a very beautiful and neat, clean plan and also doing what, what you want to do. But what you want to do is not necessarily what a community wants or needs and that you need to really be a responsive. So, um, at a stage, we planned a whole year of events. We were very, very um, kind of opportunistic and hopeful. Um, <laughs> but then we, we saw that you really need to adjust. So I think the iterations of, of healing spaces is quite vast, especially because we adapt. So there is a standing support group that runs throughout, but that support group has taken many different forms from more activity-based to more um, directive and prompting to very open. We've had groups that follow a group analytical frame. We've had groups that follow a very specific activity frame. We often run workshops and retreats, both for clinicians and for clients. 
um, but with different themes, because I think also it's not one size fits all. And in, in the mental health world, we kind of believe that, you know, like even if you just think about the diagnosis, a client that is depressed and high functioning would probably not need the same group as a client that is autistic or schizophrenic um, or yeah. an eating disorder client. And, and, even, kind of group a, mm. and even two clients that are depressed don't necessarily need the same thing. I think we mm. often don't realize that, that with the same diagnosis, we, we have different needs and kind of different levels of functioning and things like that. And so what we like to realize is that we would rather want to be responsive to the need and then adjust accordingly to that. So um, now we are much, I want to say flight of, like, like, what's the right term? Like flight of foot, you know, like if we say, oh, there's a need for a boundary workshop, then we'll bring in a boundary workshop. And even that then becomes quite interesting. So sometimes our clients, um, for example, love the art processes and they really want to work with projective work and then we'll do the boundary workshop that they want, but in that way. Or another time we might have a more con concrete group and we'll run it in that way. We have definitely, as I'm saying that we are pivoting, the thing about healing spaces is our heart, our essence, our values, what we teach and how we teach, um, how we integrate stays the same. But it's almost shifted from a plan and a process to a feeling and a sensation. So when you come into a healing space session, you will always you will always be met with the same energy and the same ethos, but it will look different. And I think that was a big adjustment for us as therapists, which is also why we went into more helping and serving cl clinicians as well, really to say that it can look different and, and how does it make you feel to run sessions differently? Um, rather than really holding on to this idea that this is what's going to work when it doesn't. So a, another good example of that is just like movement. <laughs> Sometimes we have clients that love movement. Sometimes, oh my word, they do not want to stand up and do anything. So then we, we change that slightly. We'll move it from a yoga to a Qigong to just basically lie on your back and lift up your leg and stretch a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the process doesn't change, but the activities and the way what we facilitate changes then a little bit and I think that's been a big learning for us the thing that I almost also want to add to that is is that you need to be able as a therapist and I think this is why our clinician group is so important for us because clinicians struggle to trust their intuition and clinicians struggle to trust the process it's something that we say to the clients all the time trust the process trust the process um Last week somewhere, I had this beautiful plan and I forgot a whole big part of a main activity <laughs> and kind of in the middle, ah, oh, that would have been so great. But then I needed to trust the process and actually the group worked out better because I missed that part. Um, yeah. So maybe that's something that we also need to say, who says we shouldn't trust ourselves and who says we shouldn't trust the process? Who are we to, to kind of pretend that we know exactly what this client needs or wants? Um, why do we not let the therapy do the talking? Yeah, and I love that. And I also, it makes me think of how every therapist brings something different. That you and I will, let's say we're both going to do a boundaries group, even something mm -hmm. as simple as the ABCs of boundaries, and we'll do it differently. And it's that kind of trusting that unique thing inside of you and trusting mm -hmm. your instinct because we, we've all read the same books. We all know the theories. We all, you know, have studied the same thing. But it's it's in that, 
like unique mm. part that we bring and trusting and trusting our guts and that in that we are not the therapist for everyone, but there yeah. there's going to be clients who link to us specifically. And if we don't bring that, if I try and be Marlene and Marlene tries to be Kath and, you know, yes. Kath tries to be Louise for yes. sure, we're yeah. actually doing injustice to the community that we're trying to serve. This was a very big learning for us at Healing Spaces. Um, and in a partnership, you, I mean, specifically for therapists that are kind of new to a partnership, you feel a lot of guilt. Um, we all have full-time jobs. I mean, we run this as kind of a side hustle and an extra service. And you just don't have so much time to give. So you cannot do everything for everyone. And you cannot be there all the time you can't deliver a service to each client that steps across your you know like comes across your doorstep this is a big learning for me and Kath to actually go um, we always tease we are yin and yang um so now we know that i know that she knows well she knows that i don't like the business side i don't want to send the emails and in my life i just don't have time for that but give me a retreat to plan and i will spend hours on that um if there is a process in healing spaces that needs to be calm and in it, you know, like very nurturing. And our clients even know that if it's nurturing and holding, Kath will do it. If it's <laughs> challenging and, you know, like exciting and oh, then Madeline will do it. And I think it's actually beautiful because also it gives us really a space to live out our own creativity and to live out our own, you know, like essentially our gifts through this because I am not trying to be someone else and I'm not trying to deliver a service that I cannot offer, which I think a lot of clients, a lot of therapists want, you know, like what's that saying about a round peg in a square hole or that thing? Yeah. You set yourself into what should happen rather than just being the therapist that you are. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I have so many thoughts around that, but I think that's something that I also learned from you when we worked together is that that you don't mind doing things differently. I think that's what I loved about you and coming into the clinic and working with you is that you try different things and you try unique things. And if you read about this or you, you know, when you did your master's in, I think, gestalt therapy, right? Yes, yes. You applied some of that to the adult groups. And I just... I love that about you and I love how you bring that to healing spaces and you and Kath, as you say, like the yin and the yang. Mm -hmm. And I also did an interview with her. So I think the audience will even hear the different energies that you bring. Mm -hmm. And I am hoping that what they take from that is that, that it gives them permission mm -hmm. to be themselves and, mm -hmm. and in that to fail. And I'm wondering oh, if we can yes. talk a little bit about <laughs> failure and were there, I mean, were there times where you were just like, I'm done with healing spaces or what failure looked like in healing spaces? Every second Tuesday, every second Tuesday, I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. No, no, finished. no. <laughs> finished. There's only four, four people that signed up for this. I'm not doing this anymore. I, you're, you're, it is. And I, in a weird way, this is going to sound so terrible because in a weird way, I think it's about not taking yourself so seriously and taking yourself seriously. Um, my husband says this most annoying thing of like rate yourself, which I absolutely hate. But, but I think specifically occupational therapists, we we don't rate ourselves. And in that way, we are not, we're not confident in our worth of what we offer. So we try to offer something that we feel is in textbooks or what we think a hospital wants us to offer, or what the, rather than just offering what we can. And in that, I'm like almost saying, and then we take ourselves too seriously, because then 
this is what I need to do and now I need to be perfect and all of the eyes are on me. I, I get so frustrated. I go on regular rants about just do what you do. Your therapy will speak for itself. And that is what you're saying. Like, risk it. My, my clients have not benefited from the groups that I offer or the therapy that I've given because I've stayed the same or I've played it safe. Um, and even if I fail, if I mess up a group completely, at least I've learned and I can apply it. And I even love to bring that to a client and go, you know, um, last year we ran a whole course called Being Whole. What a mess. It was a terrible mess from the beginning. <laughs> the group selection was just off. We had five people. On the first day, two didn't pitch, one came but then cancelled. So, oh, the, the clients, the, the two clients that we were thinking was going to really hold this process, at that process, at, at that time, like significantly depressed. So they were not helpful at all. Here I had this uh, beautiful, uh, like a beautiful program of like 10 weeks. And it flopped. It flopped. <laughs> and Melina, just quickly, how many years experience do you have? I don't know. I was just like, count. 17. Like how, 17. How long, 17 years you've been doing this job. Yeah. And you had a group that flopped. I love that. I think that's so important for people to hear. What is terrible. And, you know, like, then, then you sit there and I go like, okay, well, what, what can I do? I can go through this process and suck it up and have a very um non non-exciting Wednesday and become so resentful because it isn't nice for them or for me. And I think it was around about week four or something that I just said, guys, this is not working. What what's happening is not working. And we stopped the group and as a group we shifted and changed. And what was so mm. beautiful is that they said we still want to do the activities, but we do want to do it in a different way. And so I think maybe it's about admitting that you don't always know everything, admitting that you can make a mistake, make mistakes. Um, don't be so scared that the clients are going to judge you for it or that your colleagues are going to judge you for it. Actually be honest about it and say, guys, I'm taking a risk today. Let's try this activity. I say to the clients, are you ready to be a little bit weird with me today? Because this is going to be a little bit weird. It irritates us. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think that maybe also we need to be very careful of becoming institutionalized ourselves mm. and running the same groups over and over again and following the same process over and over again. And it's what you said earlier about if, 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 if the client is depressed and we are depressed in the work that we do with them, the end yeah. result will be depressed. Or no, exactly. If we are anxious, it, it's mm. maybe a bit of like, be more serious about yourself and be less serious about yourself in the same breath. Yeah, yeah. I love that. That's like holding both, taking yourself more seriously and just less seriously. And we have yeah. to give clients credit. They're not stupid. They can see when we hate our jobs. They can see when a group isn't working. They can see when we're mm -hmm. anxious. And maybe that part of, of the experience of just owning it and modeling to them, like you're allowed to say, I, my plan didn't work out mm -hmm. or I made a mistake or hey, you guys, this isn't working. What are we going to do? And trusting, I think that both the modeling and the trusting them, that they, I love how that group then said to you, we want to do this, but maybe in this way, we want to do something different. And that that is empowering. That's really therapeutic actually for our clients. 
there's a concept that comes from John Sklapubashki, um, who's a group analyst, and he says, do not do for the group that the group can do for themselves. Mm. Um, do not do for the client what the client can do for themselves. And I find that very powerful. It's to say, you know, like, why do I have to be the one that steps in with all of the answers? This is yes. also a very big part of healing spaces is that we, it, it's, it's, it's a community where we are very close to the clients that are in it, but we actually speak about it and say, what would you want? What do you need? What do you need to change? Because the clients know, I, I, I agree with you. They have a knowing who are we to kind of come here with a little bit of a God complex and go, oh, this is, this is the right thing or the wrong thing for you, or this is how a session should look or what you need to be busy with. It should be collaborative. And if it is collaborative, it actually it alleviates us from the pressure of being perfect. It allows us to just be another human in the room figuring this out. And I think that's what I always get from you when I talk to you is that it, we can, I can really see you love your job and there's such a playfulness in it that just uh, yeah allows you to take yourself a little bit less seriously. And, I, and, and that's where that like resilience to stay in this work comes from because it's hard work. Like working mental health is hard work. I think we both can't deny that. But the yeah, both taking yourself seriously and not seriously feels very, very helpful in that. I, I also think that... It's almost the playfulness, the playfulness aside, but there's almost a, a confidence that you need to generate or create. Um, I have I've been in various committees and I've arranged a lot of events in my life, and I love doing that stuff. And it 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 it's something that also fills me with a lot of passion. But in the same breath, I can be quite controlling. Kath will always laugh at me because I will have. <laughs> All of the packages for the retreat packed out weeks in advance and ready. Oh, I remember will... this. I remember this from, from working with you. <laughs> my husband will be annoyed because the whole um, dining room will be full of little packages and everything will be sorted out. But something that I've learned there, specifically because I, I tend to want to be in control and have things sorted out and, and ticking the boxes. So like being organized is very important to me. But I've realized that I can, for any given event, or then read sentence, or I'll read session or group or whatever, I can plan 80% of it. There's 20% that I cannot plan for. You know, in an event, there's always, no one has a two-prong plug, or last minute, it's, you know, like load shedding, or the mm -hmm. caterer, which you've planned and emailed 10 times, and they've promised they're going to be there at quarter past one, arrives at two. You know, like, there's always a mess. There's 80% yep. that you just cannot manage or cannot plan for. And what I do with that 20% is I just trust my gut. I just trust mm. my capacity. I have been in a group before where a client attacked me, for example. Or I've been in a group before where no one spoke. I've been in a group before where... And so I just go, I can handle that. You know, like, I can plan my session. I can be because i do believe that planning is important but i think that's part of it is maybe it goes back to like rating yourself and confidence is that therapists shouldn't be scared like who who says that you should have everything under wraps there's a part of it that you will never be able to control there's a part of it that you just need to trust the clients and your experience or just trust that it will unfold in the way that it needs to unfold um, and I think that is important. So I don't want to say 
you know, like be very lackadaisy and let things just run by you. There's a lot of time and energy going into groups and planning yeah. groups. Make a mistake and trust that you would be able to fix it. Trust that you would be able to adapt or adjust in that moment or even afterwards. And that in the end, it'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, um, in this week, I had to apologize to a client because I did a session last week and I hadn't slept so well and I said something that I just know was the wrong thing and I just had to apologize. And and I, um, how you said that we don't want to create this illusion that you just rock up and wing everything, that there is an 80% planning, but that 20%, I kind of like that split, 80-20, of knowing that things are going to happen. And with that, the trust in yourself, the trust in the process, the trust in the client, even the trust in if things go wrong, go and own it, go and apologize it. I had to say to my client this week, like, I'm so sorry I said that. That just wasn't, yeah, yeah. I was just tired and wasn't thinking and I'm sorry I said that. Yeah. And that actually builds relationship. Absolutely. I had that with a client that um, is relapsing and she asked me, am I angry? And I said, no, I'm just disappointed. And then, no, I'm just frustrated. This went on for a few weeks. And then last week I said, no, actually, sorry, apologies. I'm actually angry at you. I am actually really angry at you. Uh, <laughs> you messed up. Yeah. But I also think that if we don't allow ourselves that, let's call it 20% of unknown or 20% of like seeing how it goes, how will you ever learn? Mm-hmm. If I think back to being a student, some of the biggest lessons that I've learned from people like Talien Castellain or Marianne de Beer or people like that um, I've learned in exams can you believe it because I've messed up in the exams and was downmarked for it but that's where I've learned it so yes. these students and, and young clinicians come into clinics or they look at people with experience like us and they go well I need to do it like they are doing it no why, why can I trust my 20% because I failed Mm, um how do i know how to deal with a patient that is having a panic attack a a therapist asked me the other day like oh no it is actually a parent how do we know whether a client is lying to us or not and i said oh i don't know i just know um because i've also had a client that lied to me and i believed them or a client that didn't lie to me and i didn't believe them and i almost think that if we don't allow ourselves the space to make mistakes um Healing Spaces is such a good example of that. Healing Spaces would not have existed if we didn't own our mistakes and changed them and moved into completely different directions or apologized for them. And maybe that's part of it, is that we need to be okay to learn. And in order to learn, you will make mistakes. Yeah, this idea of being a lifelong learner, that it's not like you get your degree and there's this line between knowing and not knowing that we learn yes. every single day. We learn on the job. We learn even though we've been doing this for 17 years. Um, and with that, Marlene, I'm wondering if you could just tell the audience a little bit about what does healing spaces look like now? So we, this is now 2023 and it's come a long way. And what, what is the offering at the moment? Tell us a little bit about what you guys do. Well, it'll probably change next month as you're hearing how much it's changing. <laughs> so, so we're recording this June 2023, so it depends on when you <laughs> yeah. listen to it. In June 2023. No. Um, so we offer we offer two standing groups, which is, is really lovely. There is a support group for clients every second week that has different formats, but there's always that space because 
we find that clients really need a home to come back to, you know, like a home base where they can check in. So mm-hmm. there's a support group once a week or once every second week for clients. There is a walk once a week for clients, which is also really lovely. Wow. And then depending on what everyone needs, there is either a social um, session, you like we'll watch a movie together or we'll do something fun together. And then various retreats and workshops that are always updated on our website and they change depending on what we are busy with and what we are focusing on and whatever needs arise we are also collaborating with a lot of people you know there's a lot of um we recently had a, a organization that ha- works with autistic children that they need a workshop for their parents so we'll offer those kind of things as well as and when when clients or families need it we do a lot of things that our clients want um there's uh, you know the transformation game so we'll often be like oh mm-hmm. four people will be like let's play the transformation game and then we'll do things like that so the offering is almost very varied um but there's always retreats and workshops running that people mm-hmm. can just follow on our website and then i think the thing that is also exciting is the clinician part that there is a supervision group just for clinicians really to speak about the things that me and you are speaking about um now and i think also our our relationship has come from so far i can i can remember clearly conversations where both me and you said but this is not the client stuff this is my stuff um Mm -hmm. and let's speak about that so so our clinician group also happens every second week but that is a platform for really thinking about the therapy but thinking about you in the therapy and really thinking about you as an occupational therapist not just doing the work but holding the space and being more than just the activity in the room um so that's the current offering we are very excited about um long-term retreats you know like we have sleep out weekends and day retreats so there's really something for everyone at this moment and where can people find you if they either want to refer a client to the groups or a clinician wants to come to the supervision group? Where's the best place? Probably easiest to just follow us on our website. So www.healingspaceswellness.co.za or email info at healingspaceswellness.co.za. So healingspaceswellness right. will get you to where you need to go. Great. I'm going to put a link in the show notes as well. So if people want to just click on the link, then it'll take them to the website or to, I'll put the email address there as well. Um, And then Marlene, I have a last question for you. So if you had to give advice to a young clinician starting out in mental health, what would you tell them? What, yeah, if they, yeah, what advice would you have? Um, I'm laughing now. Our psychiatrist um, at the clinic that I work with says I can't say this. Um, when, we call clients, <laughs> when we call clients into ward round um, and they are not in trouble, we just want to check up on them. I always go, don't be scared. And then he says, you are not allowed to say to people, don't be scared because they are allowed to be scared. But I'm going to oh, say sweet. that. That's <laughs> very cute. But I'm going to say that, like, don't be scared. Even if you're scared, don't be scared. Maybe. Don't be scared. Be brave. Um, don't be scared to go and speak to the psychiatrist. Don't be scared to find a place in a in a in a clinic. Um, don't be scared to start a group in a hospital. Don't be scared to start a group in a hospital and within three or four months say to the management team, "Wait, this didn't really work out as we wanted it, and we're going to change it." Don't mm-hmm. be scared to be yourself. Don't be scared to make mistakes. Um, and and you're maybe with a very big disclaimer of even if you are scared, 
just do it in any guys mm. i think that we have as OTs, we are trained with this incredible potential for creative problem solving for creative intervention um this is something that is a real gift in our profession but when we when we hold on to our fear we become institutionalized we follow the hierarchies of how things should be really really should be in inverted commas um we we feel kind of intimidated by other professions and what they offer we even feel intimidated by our clients or we even mm-hmm. feel intimidated by our own limitations so i want to be like then be scared but do it in any case try it in any case and if it didn't work pivot make a change who says you need to be perfect mm. yeah one of my favorite sayings is just do it scared like even if you're scared just do it and yeah yeah, I think healing spaces and you and your career um has been such a an example of that and such an inspiration so thank you so much Marlene for being here and for this lovely conversation and also just for who you are in the profession and this person that we can all look up to and that you're not just saying these things you embody these things you take the risks you are brave you do it scared sometimes um and really thank you for that Oh, that means a lot to me. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. And so to many more years of messing up groups and fixing them and pivoting programs. I can cheers to that for sure. <laughs> Thank you, Marlene. Oh, thanks so much. Have a lovely day. You too.